The following is from Red Hill Baptist Church, where we exist to glorify God, grow more like Jesus, and go with the gospel. To find out more about our ministry, or to contact us, please visit redhillbaptist.org. Well, amen. Thank you so much for joining us again here at Red Hill Baptist Church. We're so glad that you would invest this time with us, and we consider it a real honor uh, to come to you where you are and to share God's Word with you. We're going to be back in the book of Philippians today as we continue our series called Finding Joy. We're thinking about our prayer list right now and what's on your prayer list. And, you know, it's a real blessing when someone tells you that they're praying for you, isn't it? I mean, it's just something about somebody saying, listen, I'm praying for you. But have you ever given any thought to what they might be praying for you? I mean, what exactly are they praying for when they mention you before the throne? Uh, They may not even like you. In fact, they may be praying curses instead of blessings upon you. Reminded me of a story between a song leader and a preacher, and they were not getting along very well. And as time went by, their uh, strained relationship began to bleed over into the services at the church. In the first week, uh, the preacher, he preached on commitment and how we all should dedicate ourselves to the service of the Lord. And the song leader got up and he closed the service that day with this song, I Shall Not Be Moved. Well, the second week, the preacher, he brought a message on tithing and how we all should gladly give to the work of the Lord. And the song leader closed with the song, Jesus Paid It All. Well, the third week rolls around and the preacher preached on gossiping and how we all should watch our tongues And the song leader closed the service with the song, I love to tell the story. Well, with all this going on, the preacher, as you can imagine, became pretty disgusted with the whole situation. And the following Sunday, he decided to tell the congregation he was considering resigning. And the song leader closed the service that day with the song, Oh, Why Not Tonight? Well, as it came to pass, the preacher did indeed resign. And the next week he told the congregation it was Jesus who led him there. It was Jesus who was taking him away. And the song leader closed the service that day with the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. I don't know if that story is true. Sadly, it it might just be a true story. But it does make you wonder what people are praying for when they pray for you and for me. But you know what? In Paul and the Philippians case, we're not left to wonder about what Paul was praying for them. In the first place... Paul loved them very much. He had their best interest at heart. He was taking them to the Lord uh, before the throne of grace. But in the second case, Paul was very clear here about what he was sharing with these Philippian believers. In fact, he was very specific in what he was praying for them. And as we look at Paul's prayer list here, uh, we want to see that his prayers, and we're noticing that his prayers, they don't look quite similar to our prayers a lot of the time. Our prayers seem to revolve around the physical and needs and those sorts of things. And we should pray for those things. But I want you to notice what Paul's prayers were for these believers in Philippi. We're looking at Philippians chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. And this I pray that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment, that you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense to the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ, to the glory and praise of God. Now, we're noticing four requests in particular when it comes to Paul's prayer list for the Philippian believers. We looked at the the first two last time. We noticed that he prayed for their love, that it would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. And then we noticed, secondly, he prayed for their choices, 
that they would approve things that are excellent. And that brings us today to number three and four on Paul's prayer list for the Philippian believers. And the third request that he mentions, uh, we can summarize it this way. He prayed for their integrity. He prayed for their integrity. If you'll notice there in chapter one, uh, verse 10, he says at the end of that verse that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. We notice that these requests are kind of building one upon another. And he prays that they would be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. And we'll consider those words and phrases together. Let's take the last phrase first. The day of Christ, that is the rapture. He's already mentioned it uh, so far here in the first chapter in the very sixth verse where it says, being confident of this very thing that he was begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. It's obvious that Paul kept an eye toward the sky. He knew that Jesus Christ was coming again. When he says there the word sincere, it has the idea of being judged by sunlight. Without wax or unmixed, kind of like when you were to take a piece of pottery and hold it up to the sunlight and see if there were any cracks in it that had been kind of put back together. The sunlight would reveal any hidden cracks. And as believers, we're to hold our lives up to the sunlight of God's word and see if there's anything that's not quite right in our lives. To see if our walk matches our talk, to see if we are genuine and sincere in our lives and our living And then he says that we might be sincere and without offense. Uh, That has the idea of being blameless, not being a stumbling block to people, not having a moral failure that would cause other believers to stumble or, or sin or to reject Christ outright. Now, this is not being perfect. We realize that. But it's living a life of integrity. It's living a life of consistency. It's having a good testimony uh, day in and day out in our Christian life. We have to remember that other people are watching us. And I want you to notice, beloved, as we've studied Paul's prayer request so far, he's not once mentioned their bunions or their big toes or their balding heads. And and don't get mad at me. It's not that those things are, are not prayer requests and things that we should be praying about health needs and concerns. But we're masters when it comes to praying about those sort of things. When are we going to start praying about these sorts of things? When are we going to start praying spiritual requests and asking that the Lord might help us to abound in our love and make good choices and be men and women of integrity and live lives without offense and live sincere lives? Are we ever going to turn from the uh, physical to the spiritual? That's one of the lessons we're learning here as we think about Paul's prayer requests. This brings us to the fourth request that Paul mentions for these believers. And we noticed that he prayed for their fruitfulness. He prayed for their fruitfulness. Verse 11, being filled with the fruits of the righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now, before we talk about the fruit itself, and we are going to talk about that. Notice the source of the fruitfulness. It's it's which are by Jesus Christ. It reminds me of the Gospel of John, the 15th chapter, John 15, verses one through five, five. I am the true vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that bears fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. You are already clean because of the word which I have spoken to you. Abide in me, Jesus says, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine. You are the branches. He who abides in me and I in him bears much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. 
And so we notice here that the source of fruitfulness is Jesus Christ. And we also notice that the motivation and goal of this fruitfulness here is to the glory and praise of God, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Verse 11. Uh, This is to be the case with everything that we do. Everything that we do as a believer is to bring honor and glory to God. First Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31. Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatsoever you do, do all to the glory of God. I mean, how much more basic does it get than our eating and our drinking is to be done to the glory of God? First Peter chapter four, verse 11. If any man speak. Let him speak as the oracles of God. If any man minister, let him do it as of the ability which God giveth, that God in all things may be glorified through Jesus Christ, to whom be praise and dominion forever and ever. Amen. Now, we know the source of the fruitfulness. It is the Lord Jesus. We know the goal and motivation that is to the praise and glory of of the Lord. But let's talk about the fruit itself. What kind of fruit is he talking about here when he asks being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God? Well, let's walk through some of the fruit that would be included in this. We would, first of all, of course, be reminded of the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit working in our lives and bringing about fruitfulness. Galatians chapter 5, verses 22 and 23. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such, there is no law. And so the Holy Spirit works in our lives to bring about that sort of fruit in our lives. We would also think about the fruit of evangelism. That is winning other people to saving faith in Jesus Christ. In Romans chapter 1, uh, verses 13 through 15, it says, Now I would not have you be ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come to you, but was let hitherto, that I might have some fruit among you, even or also even as among other Gentiles. I am debtor both to the Greeks and to the barbarians, both to the wise and to the unwise. So as much as in me is, I'm ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also. And so we think about the fruit of winning lost people to Jesus Christ. There's the fruit of the spirit, the fruit of evangelism. And then we think about fruit unto holiness, the fruit of holiness. Romans chapter six, verse twenty two. But now being made free from sin and become servants to God, ye have your fruit unto holiness and the end everlasting life. Furthermore, we'd add to this list of fruit that uh, Paul probably had in mind he was, as he was praying was the fruit of good works. The fruit of good works. Colossians chapter 1 verse 10. That you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Then then we would add one more, and that is the fruit of thanksgiving. And that's certainly a fruit that needs to be developed in our lives. Hebrews 13, 15 says, by him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. The fruit of the spirit, the fruit of evangelism, the fruit of holiness, the fruit of good works and the fruit of thanksgiving. You know, someone has observed that God is looking for spiritual fruit, not religious nuts. (laughs) He, He prayed for their love. He prayed for their choices. He prayed for their integrity and he prayed for their fruitfulness. 
And I believe if you tie it all those together, it kind of comes back to that first request. And that is abounding love. He prayed that their love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. That growing, overflowing, super abounding love. You see, Paul had a love in his heart for the Philippian believers. They had a love for Paul and he's praying for them. I understand when Lawrence of Arabia was in Paris after World War One, he took some of his friends to show them a few of the splendid sights of the city. He took them to the Louvre. He took them to Napoleon's tomb. And amazingly, they found very little interest in those touristy places. The thing that really gripped their imagination, believe it or not, was the faucet in their hotel room. They spent a lot of time turning it on and turning it off. And they thought that the faucet was wonderful. All they had to do was turn that faucet, that handle, and they had all the water that they wanted. Well, sometime later, they were ready to leave Paris and return to the east. And Lawrence found them in the bathroom. And you know what they were doing? They were trying to detach the faucet. They wanted to take the faucet with them. You see, they said, it is very dry in Arabia. What we need are faucets. If we have them, we have all the water we want. And Lawrence had to explain to them that the effectiveness of the faucet did not lie in the faucet itself, but the immense system of waterworks which lay behind uh, where those faucets were attached. He had to point out that behind this lay the rain and the snowfall of the Alps. It was not the faucet. It was what was behind the faucet. And the writer that I was reading who was sharing this story said something very, very worthwhile. Listen to what they wrote. Many of God's people today are living lives that are dry and as dusty as the deserts of Arabia. They have faucets, but there's no connection to the pipeline. That is the difference that God makes when our lives are intimately and relationally linked to his. There is refreshment and there is spiritual fruit. All we need to do is turn on the tap and let the water flow. Now, how about you, friend? May I just ask you and just be real honest with you today? Are you connected to the Lord Jesus through salvation, first of all? I mean, that is the starting point. The Bible says that all of us have sinned. All of us have fallen short of the glory of God. There's none righteous, no, not one. As a nine-year-old boy, I turned from my faith. I turned from my sin and put my faith in Jesus Christ. I recognize that I was a sinner. All of us have sinned. All of us have messed up. And, and I have salvation today. I have eternal life, not because of me and what I've done, but because of Jesus and what he's done. And if you've never turned from your sin and placed your faith in Christ, I would encourage you right now, wherever you are, to stop and just tell the Lord, as, as simple as you can, if he's working on your heart right now, that you don't want your sin anymore. You're sorry for your sin. You would like for him to forgive you and cleanse you and for Jesus Christ to come into your life and save you. We would love to help you if we can. Please get in touch with us. But, you know, a lot of the message that we've been looking at uh, both last time and this time as we thought about Paul's prayer list and thought about these things he's praying, it's been for the believer. And I just want to ask you, dear Christian friend, have you been turning on the tap of prayer? Have you been turning on the faucet of prayer, that sweet communion with the father? I mean, think about the request that he's praying for here. Is your love abounding more and more? Are your choices godly and God honoring and in line with the scripture? Are you living a life of integrity, 
unmixed and sincere? And are you fruitful? Is your life bearing fruit? Are you are you uh, abiding in the vine, therefore able to bring forth the fruit? Are you abiding in Jesus, bringing glory to the father? Do you pray like this? Do I pray like this? You know, as I'm studying the book of Philippians, and as you may already know, we're not only studying it on the weekends, we're also studying it on Thursday night at a Facebook live Bible study. We would invite you to join us uh, any Thursday night. Uh, we begin at 7 p.m. But I'm finding more and more that I'm being challenged by just looking at Paul's life and looking at Paul's prayer list. It's just a great challenge to me to see how far I need to grow and go in my own Christian life. So can I challenge you? To take these requests that Paul had on his list and add them to your list. To pray these things for your family. To pray these things for your friends. To pray these things for yourself. That your love would abound more and more. That you would approve things that are excellent. Make the right choices. That you would live a life of integrity. And a life of fruitfulness for the honor and glory of Jesus Christ. And if you have any time left over, as I said last time. If you don't mind, would you pray that for me? I certainly would appreciate it. Father, we thank you for this time we've had together. And as we've looked at this portion of Scripture, we've been challenged by Paul's prayer list and by Paul's prayer life. And Father, we're pretty good at praying for physical needs, and we know that you care. In fact, you you tell us to cast all of our care upon you, for you care for us. And so we can bring the needs concerning sickness and financial needs and those sorts of things, and we can bring them to you and give them to you. But, Father, if we're honest, we sometimes not quite as proficient in praying for the spiritual request like we find Paul praying for these believers. So, Father, we pray right now that you would help us, that our love would abound more and more in knowledge and discernment, that we would make wise choices and approve things that are excellent, that we would be men and women of integrity and sincerity, and that you would bring forth fruit in our lives for your honor and your glory. We love you and we praise you and we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.
Thank you for listening today. We trust that our time together was a blessing to you. If you'd like to connect with us, you'll find us on Facebook, YouTube, Apple Podcasts, and of course on our website at redhillbaptist.org. Until next time, may the Lord richly bless you.